Uh, well, I missed you guys uh, for the last two weeks. Uh, I was uh, being a disciple, making disciples over in Turkey, and uh, it, it was an amazing uh, week, really it was. Uh, and there was a couple of things that were amazing about it. Uh, but just to encourage y'all, uh, one of the things that was really incredible was uh, I had sent over a, a, a video of these uh, Turkish I, uh, Iranian pastors who had fled Turkey, or excuse me, had, had fled Iran to come to Turkey, and uh, they were singing uh, in Farsi uh, praises to Jesus. Uh, so I snapped a video of that, and I sent it to some of the men in here, and one guy responded, uh, we were in Romans 11 that week, and that person just said, hey, that's the nations being grafted in, um, which is just amazing to think about, that while we're studying that, we're, uh, we're seeing that, uh, and not just in Turkey, but all around uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, and so that was encouraging. The other thing that was encouraging was just to see the updates of what was happening here through Summit, uh, through Dad U, through community, through students, through just all this stuff that was happening, and just the realization that we don't go to mission, we live on mission. Um, and so I just had a great conversation with some men here that we just, I just asked the simple question, um, hey, it's, it's typical to be asked whenever you come back from something like this, hey, how did it go? Um, but I wanted to re- reverse the question to them and say, hey, how is it to be a disciple, making disciples here uh, this past week? And I got to hear stories from them um, about what it meant to be a disciple and make a disciple uh, in Plano. And so uh, excited to be back. Uh, I still think it's uh, not the right time. And so I was chipper this morning uh, waking up because I think it's like in the afternoon right now. And so around 2 o'clock, it was fun to pray for you guys knowing it was 6.30 a.m. here. Uh, But it's great to be back uh, in in, uh, the States. And so uh, something that was unique, and and y'all will know this who have kind of been overseas or been in a different culture or context for a season of time, uh, you'll know that when you walk in, uh, it's very easy to be inadvertently insulting Uh, to people uh, because the culture is different, the laws are different, the customs are different. And so throughout the week, we didn't want to do that. And so we kept on asking the question, hey, is this okay? Is that okay? Can we say this? Can we do this? And we found some very unique things that happen in Turkey that would just not happen in America. Uh, And so the first thing was a law that if we had inadvertently broken, we could have been hauled off to jail, which was you were not allowed to make fun of the founding president of Turkey. Um, And so if we inadvertently did that and started talking about making America great again uh, in lieu of that guy, we would have been hauled off to jail. Uh, No matter, even if we were American citizens, we would have broken the law in that country without knowing it. Um, And so that was one thing. Another thing was the entire country, because of the Muslim influence, does not have pork. So think about that. An entire nation without bacon. I know, it's, it's tragic, it was a very sad place. And so we had a bacon cheeseburger, which was meat, cheese, and then God's curse on humanity, which was turkey bacon uh, on it. And so, entire nation without pork. Uh, the last thing, and this was the big one, um, in our culture, in our context, uh, this right here means it's okay. Everything's good. In their culture, uh, it meant I'm secretly gay, and I'm soliciting sex from you. So we had to learn very quickly uh, how to respond in that culture because we were 
Because that's common, just to go, hey, everything's great, and that would have been uh, implying something very different in their culture, in their context. And so we kept on asking, hey, what's normal, what's different, and what should we do? Because we, though we are citizens of one country, we're operating in a different country, in a different nation. And we wanted to do everything we can, one, to not inadvertently break the law, but two, uh, to really love people well within their culture and their context so that we could take away everything uh, that was getting in the way of really loving these people well. Um, And so I mentioned that to you because that's Romans 13. Uh, That's where we're at right now. Uh, That we as believers in Christ are citizens of one country, a greater country, a greater nation, a greater kingdom. And yet we are living within another kingdom, a lesser kingdom uh, here on earth. And so we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and yet we are simultaneously citizens of America. And so Paul is going to express how do we respond and how do we live our lives within a country that is ultimately not our own? How do we move through this pilgrimage on earth? And how do we walk in a way that is loving towards those around us when our citizenship is ultimately in another place? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at Romans 13 Uh, to see the gospel and society. How do we as believers operate in a culture and in a context in which we ultimately submit to a greater one? Because the reality of it is, uh, we're moving more and more each and every day into where our culture and our context does not look uh, like what what a Christian nation would look like. And so we have moved beyond that. And so what does it look like for us as believers to operate in a country uh, that is ultimately not our own? And Paul gives us the answer in Romans 13. And what I love about Romans is that Paul is writing to a context in which is very different than our own. So when we think about things that are oppressing to us, multiply that by about a dozen and you're going to get the, the context and the culture of the Roman Empire. And so we get offended whenever uh, our taxes go to something that we don't like. Uh, Their taxes went towards the slaughtering of Christians. And yet Paul will tell them two predominant things in this passage. One, to submit to the state. And two, to serve your street. And so let's real quickly move through those two ideas. And then we'll talk to someone that kind of lives in those worlds. And so first up, we're called as believers to submit to the state above us. And we see that in verses one through seven. He says, uh, in verses one, he says, let every person be subject to the ruling authorities. And so he says this one command, subject yourself to the ruling authorities above you. But then he spends the rest of the time explaining why you should do that. Paul knows that we as humanity do not like to submit ourselves to anything. We want to be our own God. And so he's got to remind us why it's a good thing that we should submit ourselves to a state. And he's going to tell us two things. First, he's going to tell us that all authority is ultimately from God. In verses 1 and 2, it says it this way. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And so the first reason we're supposed to submit to authority is that authority is ultimately given from God. It's something that God has instituted, God has appointed, it has come from God. That's number one. Number two, he tells us that authorities are for our good. Verses three and four say it this way, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. 
But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so notice twice in there, it says that these ruling authorities are servants of God. These people are servants of God. Whether they realize it or not, these people are servants of the Almighty God because God is sovereign over all things. And the book of Proverbs and Psalms would say that, that, that the king's uh, will, his, the king's life, the king's decrees are like streams of water in the hands of God. He can move them whatever direction he wants to. So these individuals are servants to the God Almighty. And what he says is they're servants for your good and they're servants to avenge evil. And so the governing authorities are there to promote good and to punish evil. That's why they're there. And so Paul is expressing to us why we need to submit to these authorities. And he's telling us that they're from God and they're for our good. And so Martin Luther would say it this way. He says, God has ordained two governments the spiritual by which the Holy Spirit uh, under Christ makes Christians yield to his will. But then also the secular, which restrains the unchristian, the wicked, so that they are obliged to keep peace outwardly. The laws of worldly government ex extend no further than what is external upon the earth. For over the soul, God can and will let no other person rule it but himself. So the reason God has decreed governments is because we as mankind have rejected his governments. And so he has promoted people to promote good and to restrain evil. And so we are called, therefore, according to verse 5, it says, therefore, be subject, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For authorities are ministers of God, there it is again, attending to this very thing. So watch this, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect Respect, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Our response is to come into submission under the ruling authorities because it's from God and it's for our good. And so our response as believers is to see these authority figures as from God and catalysts for the good of mankind. And then we subject ourselves to them. And so my wife and I have a rule in our house. Um, anytime we make fun of or mock or speak poorly about ruling authorities, uh, we do what Second Peter calls us to do, which is to pray for them. Um, and the longer we make fun of them, the longer we have to pray for them. It's kind of the rule. And so we pray a lot uh, for our ruling authorities. But that's our response. We submit to the state that's above us. Um, but then we serve the street around us. You see, the Roman, the Roman Empire was very afraid of Christians because Christians are saved by grace through faith alone. And so they were worried that if they didn't have these restraining laws the way the Jewish people did, then they would just go nuts. We're saved by grace and we do whatever we want. And yet what Paul will show us is that there's other things outside of the law that motivate us to live a life worthy of our calling and motivate us to be what we should be, which is the best of all citizens. And so he gives us three things in this passage of what motivates us to serve our street around us, to love those that God has put us into context with. And so the first one is love. It's love. It says in verses eight, it says, owe nothing to one another except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. What motivates us as believers is not the law. It's love. What is the most loving thing I can do to my neighbor, my friend, my coworker? That's what motivates us. But what also motivates us is looking ahead. As the passage continues, it says this. It says, besides this, besides loving people, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of life. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual morality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And so what motivates us is, yes, love that we're supposed to have for other people that we love because God's first loved us, but also that we look ahead knowing that Jesus will return and there's a moment coming in which we stand before him. And so what motivates us is the love that God's given us to love others, but also the fact that we will stand before him one day. So we don't need a law on a piece of paper when we're gonna stand before the God Almighty of the universe and give an account for the way that we lived and steward our lives. And so what motivates us is love, yes, but also looking ahead. And then finally, what motivates us is simply the Lord. He says to put on, why? Because you don't have it naturally in yourself. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We have a higher governor. We have a higher president, we have a higher king, and we submit to him. And so the way I think about that is, is for many of you, you have a boss, um, but then that boss often has a boss. And so if your boss's boss tells you to do something, I don't care what your boss says to do. Your boss's boss has more authority, has more power than your boss, and so you yield yourself to the higher authority, your boss's boss. We have a king of kings. We have a lord of lords. And so if our government has an issue with what he has said, one day they will stand in front of him, and so will we. And so what motivates us is not the law, it's love, it's looking ahead, and it's the Lord. And we need to look no further than to the life of Christ to see this play out. He was the king of kings, the lord of lords, and yet he stepped down from his kingdom into ours. And in John 19, when Jesus was beaten and mocked and ridiculed, what was said about him, Pilate said, hey, I have all authority to release you or to kill you. Which one you want? And Jesus looked back at him and he said, in John 19, you have no authority unless God has given it to you. And so Jesus, who had all authority, yielded to the authority of the state because he knew that the authority of the state was in God's sovereign hands. And so he loved us by submitting that way because he was looking ahead, according to Hebrews 12, at something bigger that he was doing. And because of that, we can look to him as our Lord and find that motivation. And so with that, that's Romans 13. And so I want to invite a good friend of mine up here right now, Jeff Grandy. Uh, Jeff Grandy, him and I met about three or four years ago and um, he is uh, simultaneously a believer and uh, a, a police officer. And so I thought he would have a very unique perspective on this passage. Um, and so welcome up, Jeff. Thank you, sir. All Thank right. you, guys. All right. Well, fun fact about me and Jeff is we bench the same amount of weight. Um, 
<laughs> so, uh, so Jeff, uh, man, first, just uh, let the guys know just a little bit about your story, who you are, what you're doing right now, and, and just why you're up here, why I invited you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Uh, so I grew up in, in Southern California, just outside of Los Angeles, actually. And what I, would, what I tell people is I think I came to a saving faith around junior high school. My, my parents were Christians, but that's about the time I realized, man, this is not about me going to church. This is not about being a nice guy. This is not about, you know, it, uh, obeying the Ten Commandments. This is about a, a God who, who died for me. Um, about that time, I realized that. I would say I was saved that time, but I didn't really learn to run after Christ until I was in college, truthfully, is, is the way I look at it. And since then, it's kind of been the, the two-step dance, two-step forward, one-step backwards, and, and the constant struggle of every day. Uh, when I was 25 years old, I uh, uh, came to work for the Dallas Police Department. I was actually in the police academy with that guy right there, which I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, Andrew, but uh, over 10 years ago now, I remember inviting you to come to Watermark with me, and, and it is such a blessing to see you here this morning, brother. That's awesome. Um, yeah. What, a, what a blessing. Golly. Um, uh, did five years down at the Southeast Division patrol, uh, uh, what we call a CRT, where we just investigated uh, drug complaints, that kind of a thing, for a couple years. And then uh, a little over five years ago, uh, became a detective, currently a, a burglary detective. Uh, but as Derek mentioned, three years ago, went through the residency here at Watermark. He and I were in the same class. And... Uh, uh, that started me on a, a little bit different trajectory. I'm still with the Dallas Police Department full-time, but uh, help out part-time here at Watermark, helping uh, direct the security efforts. So that's what brings me here. Yeah. Um, I'd love for you to share, too, before we get into some of the questions. Uh, so a part of the security detail for, for now four campuses, y'all meet up regularly, and y'all have a verse in your mind uh, that you constantly kind of uh, push forward, and you have a perspective about what your job really is and who's really doing the job. Absolutely. So it... I have two verses uh, that I constantly quote to our teams. One is, is Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Uh, and also Proverbs 21.31, uh, um, uh, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. And, and it's a constant reminder uh, to us and to me that, man, God has given us a privilege to be those guys with that responsibility, but our efforts mean absolutely nothing if God, if God isn't behind it. Yeah. So. So good. Um, well, fun story real quick about Andrew. Man, you're getting called out right now. Uh, but uh, first week we were teaching, and um, uh, about midway through I was teaching, he walks in full police officer uniform, and I was like, I was still teaching, like I could see him, nobody else could. And um, as I was, he was like, sl started to slowly walk up, and I was like, he's about to like interrupt everything and be like, yeah, I'm looking for a Mr. Weidman here, or you know, like just whatever that is. And uh, so I was like on the same point for like two minutes, like just trying to like land the plane with something because I was just expecting that to happen. And then he sits down right there, and I was like, okay, good, Matt's safe. Um, so, <laughs> anyways, love the, love the officers that are here, and man, thank you for keeping us safe, but also having that perspective. And so, uh, with, your, with your position, your role, how, how do you understand the role of government and law enforcement as both a believer and someone who is a, a police officer? Absolutely. So, I, I'll start off by saying, since you already, you know, went into what, what Romans 13 covers a bit, um, I'll start off by saying, when I look when I study Romans 13 and look at what God has called believers to do to respect the authority given, 
uh, to pray for the authorities given. I, I have two responses. One is, man, what an honor. What an incredible honor that God has put me in that unique position to serve our community. Um, but then that brings the second response of, man, what a, what a weighty responsibility, right? Yeah. Like, man, I'm, I, I need to uh, be switched on here, right? I, I need to be making sure that I'm squared away and I'm staying faithful within that, that opportunity. Um, but the way I see it, you know, you guys know God has ordained three different institutions, the family, right, the church, and government. And I think one of the, the purposes of good that God has created government for, as, as Paul says in Romans 13, and we can debate what exactly that means, I believe, after studying it, one of the biggest purposes of good that government serves for society is creating structure yeah. and organization and boundaries. Uh, so within that, they have to create laws, right? You have, they have to say, like, hey, here's, here are the lines, guys, in order to not infringe upon the God-given rights of your neighbors, the, the pursuit of life, liberty, uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, we have to put in these laws and these boundaries. Well, that has no teeth, right, if you don't have law enforcement, if you don't have somebody enforcing those laws. So um, that's, that's how I view the structure as a whole. That's good. So uh, uh, Genesis 2 um, in Genesis 1 and 2, you see God creating mankind. He says, hey, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And what you see in Genesis 1 is as God is creating the earth, the first three days, he, he deals with structure. I want to create structure. And then in day 4, 5, and 6, he, he puts life within that structure. And so something that I've been encouraged by just by, by being a man is like, hey, everywhere I go, I want to create structure so that life can flourish. And so I love that perspective of what government is meant to do. And, and even in the founding of our own country, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of laws initially. We have a lot more now today than we did at the beginning. But the mindset is, hey, if we have a higher governor, we don't need as many laws because we'll, our people will submit to, to him. Mm-hmm. And so now, fa- fast forward, right. and there's laws that we don't agree with as believers. There's politicians that we go, man, that's my representative. So how do we... Um, how do we respond? How should we think about politics, especially when we don't agree with the, the ruling, the law, the person in office? How should we think about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, that's not unique to people who aren't police officers. Police officers have to think about this a ton as well. Um, and, and what I am first want to remind myself of is what Rome, Paul says to the Romans who are under an incredibly oppressive government. He's, these guys are <laughs> the ones who committed the greatest injustice of all time of killing Jesus Christ, who yeah. was innocent. Yeah, that was uh, the big says, one. He says, respect them. Yeah. Pray for them. Um, he says, as long as, and as you take the, the story of the Bible, the message from the Bible as a whole, he says, as long as they're not asking you to do something that goes against God's commands, mm. you follow it, whether you disagree with it or not. And so I would, I would point out, well, first of all, if I was having a conversation with a non-believer especially, I would say, well, what do you mean you do not agree with it? Do you not agree with it because you think there's a better way, right? And, and you, you got to be honest with yourself because in your opinion, in your experience, is there a better law that could be passed or should this law not be passed? Is there a better way to steward society and organize society in your opinion? Or do you not agree with it because it is asking you to violate God's law? Mm. And, and those are two very different responses. Even if it's asking you to do something that you don't think is necessarily best for society, we're to respect it, Yeah. right? Uh, and that's what he calls us to. Yeah, which is which is so hard, and yet, and and I feel like what gets captured in the media is more so the, um, more so the individuals that say, 
hey, for everything, if I don't agree with it, mm-hmm. I'm going to claim the name of Christ and, and push back on it, and therefore I don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to, um, I'm, I'm going to revolt against, against the ruling authorities ab- above us, um, which Paul is calling us to respect, submit, pray for, honor. Um, and so I, I love what you just said there, though, as long as it doesn't violate God's law. We see that with in Acts when Peter says, hey, I'm not going to, you can tell me not to preach Jesus. I'm going to keep doing it. You mm-hmm. killed him. He seems to be doing okay. Therefore, I'm going to keep doing this. The most you can do is kill me. And so uh, is there anything within our culture and our context now that you see um, that either we're moving towards or we're here now that you would say, hey, this is something that we would stand against as believers? Certainly. Uh, so I've, I've, one of the biggest topics, I would tell Christians, hey, you shouldn't be a, a one-issue voter. I'm not telling you to be a one-issue voter, mm. and you shouldn't be. However, as believers, if a politician is, is pro-abortion, mm. right, is, is pro-choice, as they, as they like to say it, that's a deal-breaker yeah. for me. I'm not going to vote for that person. Uh, we need to stand against that with our vote, right? And, and there's a right and a wrong way to do that. First of all, we're voting right now, right? We need to go do our, our civil duty to society, get out and vote and, and voice our opinion in that way. That's, that's like first base, guys. You got to go do it. Um, I think one of the social media in so many ways is, is a blessing to society, but unfortunately, it's become just a yelling match, mm. I feel like. Um, and, and even amongst Christians, we fall into this. Uh, I'm not a big social media guy, but from what I see other people showing me and, and my wife showing me, um, you know, one person will express their opinion and somebody just yells back yeah. and it becomes a yelling match and believers fall into that as well. And I, and I don't think that's the best, uh, the best path. I think we need to ask, what do you mean by that constantly? I think we need to pursue other people and show them that they are loved yeah. by asking, Hey, show me your, your perspective. Let me know. Please inform me. What am I missing? What do I need to know? And they're never going to see another perspective, even if they are dead wrong, right? Yeah. Even if you know that they are dead wrong, they're never going to want to see another perspective if you're not first uh, uh, asking them the question of, well, well, show me what you mean. What, what do you mean by that? And if you're just yelling louder, they just dig in further. And that's human nature. Yeah, that's so true. And, and Paul warns Timothy, hey, don't, don't quarrel about words because it leads to the ruin of hearers. Don't, don't like have a conversation is one thing, but having a, a argument is another. So that leads to probably our next question of uh, in the last you know, two years or so between the Black Lives Matter followed by the Blue Lives Matter followed by the All Lives Matter, how are we as believers to think about uh, what, what's going on there um, and just kind of the, 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 the tension that we still see within our nation? Golly. Uh, that is such a complex situation, which, by the way, it's incredibly unfair of you to ask a question like that with so little time. <laughs> you have 30 seconds. That's right. That's right. That is such a complex issue. And one, so, and, and several people smarter than I have, have commented on this. Um, one thing that I, I would bring to attention, I think, uh, one thing that I think gets lost in all of this and that we need to, to recognize is we tend as humans, and this is what we do with so many things, uh, but we'll look at one action of somebody from one movement and paint the entire movement with that brush. Mm. And that's not, that's not accurate. Yeah. We need to recognize that. It's, it's not accurate. So, um, for example, we'll, we'll take the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. We see what uh, Micah Johnson did on 7-7 uh, two and a half years ago down in downtown Dallas. 
not everybody in the Black Lives Matter movement wants that, wanted that. Yeah. Right. Not everybody thinks that that was the proper response and the way to go about these things. And um, it actually started as something much more peaceful. And unfortunately, you've got these, you know, a more radical view that that uh, would do things like that. In the same way, uh, the All Lives Matter. You know, I mentioned social media. Yeah. When they're just screaming back, "Hey, All Lives Matter!" What that communicates is, "Hey, uh, in essence, please shut up." Mm. Okay. All lives matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well. well I think we can all agree, okay, all lives matter, the, the fact to it, okay, but that's not what they're saying, Yeah. okay, and, and just, I think it'd be incredibly beneficial if we were more sensitive to, uh, to the fact that just because one person screams and, and does something that, that is terrible, that's not, we can't paint the entire movement with that brush, and there are people who actually are, are doing a great job trying to communicate their message, and they're trying to sound the alarm, just like we would like to, as believers, we would love to sound the alarm against abortion. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. There are people who are doing that in a good way and in a bad way. Yeah. And if someone just took the more extreme ways by which people who claim the name of Christ are doing that, and then they, they which is what happens in our culture, they take one, and they go, well, all Christians, therefore feel this way, act this way, yeah. and are more the radical extent of it. And, and police officers, we feel victim to that all the time, right? Yeah. If, if one officer does something egregious, right? If one officer makes a terrible mistake, uh, uh, all officers are painted with that brush, yeah. right? They're all uh, doing this, they're all doing that, they're, they're all making that mistake, and that's just not true. What I would tell you, um, if I may, really fast, what I would tell you is I... From what I see, 99.9% .9 of officers are trying to do an honest job, yeah. right? And we, we will all admit, we do a very imperfect job, right? We're sinners too. Yeah. Uh, we do a very imperfect job, but we're trying to do an honest job. And when one person, you know, falls outside of that, whether it's intentional or not, you know, we hate being painted with that same brush. And, and I think we need to realize, man, it, the somebody in these movements, there are people doing it the right way and, and making a great point, a great argument, and, and things that we need to listen to and ask questions about and stop painting that, that broad brush. That's so good. So, so for the last two questions, there was one thing that you said twice, which was uh, basically this, hey, hey, there's a behavior that's happening, and we can fixate on the behavior, but there's a belief that's driving that, that we as believers need to sit down, love that person, have that conversation. And what I love about our lead guy around here, Todd, I mean, he when stuff like this was happening, he picks up the phone and he calls uh, his friends in the, in, in the black community and is like, hey, what do, you, what do I need to know that I don't know right now? How can I love you in a way that I, I, don't, I don't naturally know how to do? And um, I mean, he called a meeting with a handful of, of the pastors uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area recently and was just like, guys, do we even trust one another? Do we love one another? And how can we be ministers of reconciliations amongst one another uh, so that we can lead our people well? Um, and so that's where kind of just with the next question of just what is it, how does loving those around us really affect the wider culture? Because I think we see sometimes culture is something that happens in D.C. or in Hollywood, and it just infiltrates down. But time and time again, it's really the grassroots that move up. And so, so how does loving our neighbor, as we talked about in the second half of Romans 13, really affect the wider culture? Have you seen that? Absolutely. Um, so I mentioned the, the three institutions that God has ordained, right? Well, you guys are part of the family and the church if you're a believer, okay? And those directly affect, very strongly affect the wider culture. And, and you mentioned uh, the Old Testament, and I'd, I'd draw more specific attention to the book of Judges, yeah. where 
the line constantly repeats itself. In those days, the people had no king, and every man did it as he saw fit in his own eyes. And, and it doesn't say this, but it's implied, and the result was disaster. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. And, and part of that was that people were falling away from God, right? They didn't, Israel wasn't originally supposed to have the same governmental structure as every country around them. They were supposed to be following God and the Mosaic law, right? Uh, well, they fell away from God. They fell away from that structure. And as the church falls away from God, as the church isn't doing what it is called to do, as the family isn't doing what it's called to do, to, uh, to admonish, to exhort, to encourage, to stir one another on to good works, to love your neighbor as yourself, to live peaceably as much as you possibly can with everybody around you, when we're, not, when we're failing at that, that has huge implications for the wider culture. And, and as you see, uh, in, in areas, not just countries, in areas in our own city, right, where things aren't happening the way there's, when the church isn't doing it, its job, when the families aren't doing its job, there are a heck of a lot more police calls coming out in those mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Um, so what I would tell you, man, mm-hmm. if, if you're loving as God calls you to love, and, and again, nobody's, nobody's perfect. We're all doing an imperfect job here, right? But when you stumble, you get back up. Uh, you encourage those who have stumbled to get back up. Um, if, you're, if you're loving as God would have you love your family and in the church, serving others, uh, being outwardly focused, you're, you are doing your part. You are being faithful, and I believe God has rewards for you in heaven, as, as Matthew 6 would say. So good. So so. And, and I do this. We have the tendency to think that if we can just get the right person in the office and right legislation passed, then then culture will will follow suit. Mm-hmm. And and over and over, I see examples in Scripture, and I see commands in Scripture that that God that legislation is good, but but liberation of the human heart is what God is ultimately after. And so um, we are a nation by the people for the people. And the more we see our communities transformed by the message of Christ, the more uh, we'll see. Um, the, the, the bottom up, uh, from, from the grassroots level up, um, transformation, not just in our communities, but in our wider culture as well. Um, and so with the last just kind of idea, you're, you're a believer in Christ, you're a law enforcement officer, uh, what would you have to say to these men um, just of how to, to love their community well? So it, I guess I would reiterate what, what I, uh, how I ended the last one and, and just say be faithful where you are. Um, you seek every day at a time to make one step closer to Christ, right? Just, just do one moment at a time what Christ would have you do, to love your family as he would have you love it, to constantly reflect. Uh, you you kind of touched on this. Reflect on the love that he has already shown you and reflect on the glory that is to be revealed to us, the future. Uh, actually, in, in, in Dallas, we're going through Romans as well. In the, the Men's Summit, we're going through Romans 13 today as well. I got to rush back there and be with my small group <laughs> when, when we're done here. Uh, but the verse today is 818. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing to the glory to yeah. be revealed to us. Um, keep that in mind. Be future-minded, be heavenly-minded. Um, and at the same time, remembering what Christ has already done for you in laying down his life for you. And Romans 12, it is only proper. It's, o- it's only your reasonable response to turn around and give your life back to him. Uh, man, if, if we are really seeking to do that, if our heart is set to do that, so many things will, will um, you know, it's the domino effect. If yeah. we're treating, if we're living like that and people see us living like that and we're treating people like that, they're going to turn around and, and love it. They're going to see that example, right? Loved people, love people, yeah. hurt people, hurt people, right? Yeah. So. 
Amen. Well, Jeff, Andrew, all of those in here, that law enforcement, government, uh, military, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for keeping us safe. Thank you for um, uh, laying down your life for the benefit of the wider community. Uh, you hold uh, the, the sword and you hold um, the promotion of good um, as God's ordained it uh, for you. And so thank you for that. Um, as Jeff said at the very beginning, that that is an honor and that's a weight. Um, and so thank you for keeping us safe and, and keep on being infiltrated by who Christ is and what he's done, uh, whether you're in law enforcement or not, um, so that we can see the wider community affected uh, by the person, the message, the gospel, the goodness of Jesus. 